Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. guys hey um it's good to have you here really good to have you here i'm gonna say another prayer we need this sermon needs two prayers will you, will you pray with me real real like succinctly here i promise jesus uh we need you we uh we we want you <clears throat> but like sometimes things get in the way lord Sometimes things distract us or weigh us down, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to hear from you. Sometimes it's hard to know that you're with us. Sometimes it's hard to keep the faith, to keep believing. And uh, so, Lord, I I guess I just, uh, I'm praying for uh, the first miracle uh, of the morning to come. And just as you, uh, you like get our hearts beyond that point that point of doubt and that you would, you just would come even right now, Lord, and, and fill our hearts with faith to believe the things that you say in your word. Lord, we need more than just like a, a knowledge of you, Lord. We need, we need a, like a relationship with you, God. Yeah, like we want to know about you, but we, want, we don't just want to know about you. We want to know you as our father and as our friend, Lord. And so I pray this morning that your spirit would come. And uh, Lord, in some cases, maybe that's like an introduction is, is necessary this morning. In some cases, we've, we've like known you, we've walked with you, we've known about you, but there's more for us to have. And I pray that you'd make a way this morning for us to have it, Lord. We want your presence, God. We're not here to, to just study so that our minds could be full, Lord, we... We need a resurrection relationship with you, God, and uh, it's going to take a miracle for that work to be done in our hearts, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to name it and claim it right now, God. We need that work to happen in our hearts. We want to know you, God. We don't want to settle for less than that. A resurrection relationship, Lord, that's what we need. Come, Jesus, amen. All right, so... Uh, some of you know, if you've been here for a while, we, we normally preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we've been studying the book of Matthew since we started this church, Matthew chapter 1, back in the, the last Sunday in August of 2021. And we've been in the book of Matthew up until this month, and I decided um, to take a short break from that, that series on the book of Matthew, just a, a four-week break, uh, as I sense like a season of enrolling We've got new faces, new folks that have uh, joined us, and um, so I wanted, I really felt led to do a little series on, you know, like, the most common question I think that I get is like, well, so what kind of church are you anyways? And so uh, I'm going to take these three weeks to talk about three of our most important values. Um, You could maybe call them distinctives, like things that make us really distinct as a church, Um, things that we're going to hang our hat on, if you will. So uh, this is a little mini-series, part two this week, on what kind of church is this anyway. uh, Last week, if you were here, you remember I talked about our desire as a church to be obedient to the Word of God. And I I taught that not only, uh, you know, do we believe that that the Bible is the divine Word of God, uh, we believe that uh, that it's authoritative, that it's sufficient. That God's word has power to sustain us. Everything we need is supplied for us in scripture. Uh, we, we talked about how we, we can know that about the word of God. Because number one, the Bible tells us it's the divine word of God. The Bible tells us that it's our authority for faith and practice. But we also know if we look within the Bible, there's internal consistency, right? It's a consistent book. The things that were said in the Old Testament came to pass in the New Testament. The things in the Bible are true. The things it says about itself 
are true, they're consistent. But we also know that there's also, there's actually good, like, intellectual reason to believe that the Bible is true, that the Bible is the divine word of God. So there's all these reasons to believe that the Bible is the divine word of God, but some of this can just become really intellectual, academic, right? And it's possible for us to hear the words of Scripture, to know what the Bible teaches, and to not actually live a life of obedience to the Word of God. And so we said our value as a church is not just to know the Word of God, but to be obedient to the Word of God. We want to be doers of the Word, not just hearers of the Word. That's how James said it in, in uh, his New Testament book. So we'll faithfully study the Bible. We'll faithfully preach the Word of God. Not with an overbearing spirit, but with patience and with care. We'll be faithful to preserving the teachings of Scripture, preserving the teachings of Scripture. We don't have to change Scripture to fit our culture. We apply the age-old truths of Scripture to our culture, right? We don't apply culture to the Bible. We apply the Bible to our culture. We want to conserve the teachings of Scripture without altering them in any way. And last of all, we don't just want to, again, we don't want to just hear the word, but we want to do the word. We want to be a church known not just as a church who studies the word of God, but we want to be a people who actually do what the word of God says. This is the hard part because the calls and the commands of scripture, though they are filled with grace, though we've been given the spirit to help us walk these things out, it's a high standard. The standard of God is high. And so we want to take on that standard. We want to, we want to reach to that standard by grace, right? High standard, high grace. We want to live obedient lives. Uh, so today, as Jake said, the value we're going to be exploring is our desire as a church to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, like I said last week, uh, labels are often given to different churches. And when people, when people ask me, what kind of church is this anyways, I'm really tempted to slap some labels on us. Because sometimes it's just easier than explaining everything, you know, just to, to put a label on us. But, but man, labels aren't always that helpful, you know what I'm saying? Like they are if you and the person you're talking to have the same definition of that label. But like I said last week, you know, like, like one way to describe us might be uh, with the word evangelical. But that word evangelical has taken some heat and maybe some bad press in the last few years. I'm not sure I really want to be known as an evangelical uh, these days. You get what I'm saying? That's just one example of how sometimes labels can be hard. Um, you know, uh, uh, this week, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about one label that you may have heard. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to be helpful at first, and so I want to define it a little bit for us today. The second label, as a church that, that wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is that we're a charismatic church. Charismatic. We're a charismatic church. Now, I don't know, some of you that may mean nothing to, right? You're like, oh, charisma, cool. We'll be charismatic in that way. Maybe some of you have had really bad experiences, though, with other charismatic churches. You may, I had a friend once who applied for a job at Central Valley Christian High School. This was way back, right? And she told them in her interview that she went to a charismatic church. And the next question that, they, that the principal at the time followed up with was, do you dance with snakes? So these are some of the perceptions that come out sometimes. You see what I'm saying? You get, you get what I'm saying, right? When we use these labels, they mean different things to different people. She was not one who dances with snakes at all. But you get what I'm saying. So, oh no, Noel, you used the label. Um, what are we going to do? So please tell us, what does it mean to be a charismatic church? What does it mean that we believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's what I think it means, Okay. So we believe the Bible teaches that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see in the New Testament church are alive and well for us in the church today. In my mind, that is what it means to be charismatic. It does not mean dancing with snakes. It does not necessarily mean that there will always even be dancing here of any sort, though we're not opposed to dancing. But it believes that we, we I'm sorry, it means that we believe that the gifts that we see taking place in the New Testament are still for the church today. We believe as the Apostle Paul taught that we're to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He says that 1 Corinthians 14, 
You should eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially the greater gifts, Paul says. So what does this mean, and how will this value be walked out here at Exeter Valley Church? And that's really what this message is all about. So this is a really practical message. This is like a, a what kind of church are we anyways message, all right? And I, I, as I undertook this message this week, I will say um, this is a really daunting and, and in some ways intimidating subject. The reason is because I think the Holy Spirit is hard to put a finger on, and we should be glad for that. Do you want to worship a God that you could totally figure out? with your human brain. I will tell you, the Holy Spirit brings a dimension to our faith that is a bit unexplainable. You know, Jacqueline came up this morning, and what what happens? She wants to share her heart. I feel like the Spirit moved you to share a story about God's generosity, and it brings you to emotion. I will tell you that in my own experience, like not a big crier uh, in my past life or my, my growing up, but when the Holy Spirit has come upon me, emotion is one of the first places that I go. It's unexplainable, though, isn't it? It's like, I don't know why I'm crying. You know what I mean? And, and this is how it is. The Holy Spirit does move in a way that can at times be beyond our real explanation. You know? And I think we should be thankful for it. I think we should be thankful that God moves in ways that go beyond our imaginations. Amen? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, I mean, simply, we could get just really simple. Oh, the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. So if we get really simple, that's one way that we could divine, I'm sorry, define uh, the Holy Spirit. He's equal in divinity. He's equal in, in, or or unified in person with the Father and the Son, okay? And and again, yeah, he is hard to wrap uh, our minds around, right? This this idea of a God who's three in one, it it does go beyond uh, our imaginations in some way. So what I want to say first and foremost is this idea of believing in the Holy Spirit is not unique to charismatic churches. The idea of believing in this Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you guys, this is basic Orthodox Christian faith, right? To believe in the Trinity, to believe in the person of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing like uniquely charismatic about that in and of itself, right? So what I want to, what I want to get at this morning is what to do with these so-called gifts of grace. If you know Greek, which I don't, and I'm assuming not many of you do, I think I may have mentioned this before, but the root word in charismatic is charis, right? It means gift, and, and namely like a gift of grace, meaning something that you don't earn. So what does it mean to be a charismatic is to receive gifts from the Spirit, gifts of grace, not things that we perform or strive, but that God, through His Spirit, puts on us, gives to us, in order to do what he's asked us to do, in order to live the life that he's asked us to live, in order to experience his presence in a really powerful way. So this is what it means when we talk about the idea of being um, charismatic. Now, there's, there's three main camps within Christian circles uh, about these charismatic gifts, these gifts of grace, okay? These miraculous gifts. So let me name them, like, like healing, miracles. Maybe you've heard of the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, right? These miraculous gifts, these unexplainable gifts. There's three main camps um, in the Christian world. And I'm gonna, I gotta, you may have noticed like we didn't have anyone read scripture today. I'm gonna read scripture a ton today, okay? Um, And so that's why I didn't have a scripture reading. But I wanna kind of start with these, this idea of these three different camps to help explain who we are and what we believe. So the first camp would be called cessationist. Cessationists. So cessationists are Christians that believe these miraculous gifts of the Spirit have gone away. That when the New Testament ended, these gifts also ended. Okay? Uh, the most well-known uh, pastor uh, in this camp is a guy named John MacArthur. You may have heard him because he has a popular radio uh, show. And he's like a, definitely um, a, a Christian leader who takes on this belief that these miraculous gifts no longer exist for the church today. So there are some Christians who believe this. And he would use Scripture to defend his position. Um, Okay, so that's camp one, the cessationists. The second camp is the charismatic camp. And I'm telling you, that's the camp that we fall in, okay? Charismatics believe that these miraculous gifts that we see in the New Testament, you know, the gifts of healing, different miracles, tongues, prophecy, uh, charismatics believe that these gifts are still for the church today. 
okay? Um, now, you, if you've been in Assemblies of God churches, if you've been uh, in Foursquare churches, vineyard denominations, uh, other types of Pentecostal churches, uh, you, you're familiar with this, right? Those, those lines of uh, Christian denominations fall within the charismatic um, camp. In fact, if you've, if you've ever been in a Pentecostal church, just to differentiate charismatics and Pentecostals, Pentecostals are charismatics who believe that speaking in tongues is the mark of, uh, of being spirit-filled, okay? So I'm speaking for Pentecostals there. That's a little bit dangerous. Um, hopefully I haven't said that wrong. But So they would, be, they would both believe that these gifts, these miraculous gifts of the Spirit are for the church today. They would just believe that you're not filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues, okay? But there are charismatics who don't necessarily believe that you have to speak in tongues in order to be filled. We would be of those, okay? Then there's the third camp. And I called it Camp 3. I don't know how to name this camp, but Camp 3 is the camp that I grew up in, okay? And, and I think, with my little spidey senses, tell me that, that there's others of us that kind of like have fallen into this camp, maybe by default, okay? And I'm going to explain a little bit about what that means. Camp 3 are theoretical charismatics who believe in these miraculous gifts, but practical cessationists meaning they don't ever experience any of these miraculous gifts in their own lives, right? And, uh, you know, my dad, uh, Mennonite brother and pastor, uh, we believed as a church that, these mirac- that God still worked in miraculous ways by his spirit. Like, we believed those things. But if you showed up to our services, you would have never guessed that we believed in those things. You know, we were the frozen chosen we were like very like upright, proper, nothing crazy or out of the norm ever happened. You know what I mean? But we would pray for healing, right? Now, tongues, I don't know. I never knew many people that prayed for that because that was just too weird, I suppose, you know? I remember one time my dad said, you know, um, because we had had like a, we had like a event with another church in town. Um, they were a, a four-square church, actually, and the, the pastor was talking about speaking in tongues. And I asked my dad, like, have you ever... You know, like, what about tongues? Like, the Bible, I see tongues in the Bible. Like, have you ever, you know, been gifted with the ability to speak in tongues? And, you know, my dad said, you know, I've, like, I prayed for that gift and never felt like, you know, I just never received that gift. So uh, maybe that was true for my dad, but I would say that we were in this camp three. We, We believed that these gifts existed, but we never really pressed in to realize them and to experience them and to walk in them. So here's the problem with Camp 3. The, the problem with Camp 3 is to be walking out an experience of your, your faith that does not line up with what you believe the Bible t- teaches, right? And I think the problem with Camp 3 and the reason that so many of us find ourselves in Camp 3 is because sometimes being surrendered to God's Spirit and allowing Him to come upon us, maybe in emotion, it can feel super vulnerable, it can feel uncomfortable. It can feel like maybe we're faking it. We don't want to be fake. It can feel a little bit out of control, right? And so, but, but here's the thing. We talked about being a people that are obedient to the word of God. Being a people that are obedient to the word of God. And so I would just say as a church, even if, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, if you're like, Noel, raising my hand, tongues? I don't even want to raise my hands in church. I would just suggest that like part of growing is experiencing some discomfort at times, isn't it? But we, here's the thing. We don't want to be Camp 3 Christians because Camp 3 Christians hold a view of Scripture that's not realized in their daily walk. In that way, I think Camp 3 Christians can be hearers who aren't doers, right? And we want to be doers of the Word, not just hearers. Hey, even, I just want to say, like, this is hard for me. I'm not the most charismatic uh, Christian that's out there. I have to push myself to grow in these ways all the time. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm telling you, if there is a way for God to move in more power in my life, if there is a way for me to experience the presence of God in a deeper way in my life and in this church, I'm here for it. I want to see God move in power. I want to see people healed. I want to see miracles performed. I want to see lives completely changed by the Spirit of God. This is what I'm here for. This is what I signed up for. And I will get any level of uncomfortable to see these things happen. And so I would just say to you as a church, hey, if you're like, oh, dude, you just described to me, I'm a Camp 3 Christian, 
right? I believe that these gifts are here for me today, but I've never experienced or walked in any of these things. I just want to say, like, I think I've been there. I'm, I might be there right now. It's hard for me to get out of that camp. I feel a little bit uncomfortable, but let's aim. Let's go for it together, right? Let's go for it together. Let's do what the Word of God teaches. Let's try to be that kind of church. Not that we've already attained these things, but still we press on in faith to take hold of everything that God's made available to us by his spirit. So I want to take you now through the Bible. Last week I was like, we're a word church. We believe in the authority of scripture. We're going to be a word church. We're going to go to the word over and over and over again. And so I got to, I got to uh, put that to practice this week. And I know that some of you potentially have had like an experience of God. You're like, dude, no, you don't have to convince me. Like I've had a, a experience like, I've spoken in tongues. I've received prophetic words. I've seen God heal. I've seen the miraculous happen. All those experiences can be really great. I'm not denying experience. I think I, I want to see. Again, I want to see all those experiences. But listen, even if you haven't had a charismatic, quote-unquote, experience of God, a miraculous experience of God, I want to point you to Scripture and hopefully ground you in the idea that this is what the Bible teaches. So where does this idea of spirit come from? Uh, just lest you think that uh, this idea of spirit is only a New Testament thing that started when Jesus left the earth, I've got news for you. Uh, the, the spirit of God is alive and well in the Old Testament. If you look closely, you will see the spirit of God all over the Old Testament. So that the idea of the Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament creation. Speaking of creation, Genesis 1-2, it says the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was unrolling creation from the very beginning. This isn't just a New Testament thing, okay? Also, some other examples from the Old Testament, because I kind of love these stories about the judges and the warriors and some of these prophets. Um, the Spirit, it says in the Old Testament, came upon um, these men in extraordinary power. Multiple examples, like Joshua. You can go to Numbers 27, 18. Uh, a guy named Othniel in Judges 3.10. And then one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Gideon, right? Gideon was like really weak, timid. Then the Spirit of God came on him. Nothing else changed except he was filled with the Spirit, and all of a sudden he got brave and bold, right? So that's Judges 6.34. Then uh, one of my other favorite characters, my favorite slash least favorite, my favorite because he's like strong and does really cool stuff, but least favorite because his character doesn't match up with his gifting, that's Samson, Right? It says the Spirit of God was the power behind Samson's great strength, right? Um, so God came upon Samson in the Old Testament, and then we see King Saul, 1 Samuel 10, um, another example of a man who was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do a particular task, okay? The Spirit's also attributed by David and with other prophets or biblical authors as being responsible for inspiring the writings of the Old Testament. So, look, long story short, we got to remember... The Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament thing. It's not just a new covenant part of our faith. It's been alive. The Spirit of God has been alive and well from creation, empowering and equipping his people to do his work. Okay? So that being said, the way in which the Spirit moves and works, it does seem to have a new application since Pentecost. Right? And we're going to talk about what Pentecost uh, was, but Acts chapter 2 the, uh, the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came down on uh, Jesus' disciples, okay? But the Spirit of God was alive and well, even in the old Hebrew Bible that Jesus knew. So I want to talk next about the Spirit and Jesus. If you were here one year ago, we studied Matthew 3, okay? In Matthew 3, it's the story of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. This is what it says, Matthew 3, verse 11 through 17 I baptize you, this is JTB speaking right here, John the Baptist, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, he's talking about Jesus, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, 
he went up out of the water. At that moment, it says, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. You guys, Jesus Christ was filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ himself was filled with the Spirit of God. So now we have this transition from the Old Testament. God shows up, puts his anointing on Jesus. This is my son. This is the Messiah in whom I'm well pleased. And now Jesus, uh, fast forward, Jesus has done his thing. He's done his ministry, 33 years old, and he's anticipating that his time has come to leave the earth. John 16, 1 through 15, Jesus promises that same spirit to his disciples. John 16, 1 through 15, all this I have told you, this is Jesus speaking, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, the Father. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. Right? The disciples are sad that Jesus is about to go away. They've seen him move in power. They've seen him do all these miraculous things. So they're really sad, but he says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. How could that be, right? How could it be better for us that Jesus goes away to be with the Father? And this is what he says. He says, unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus promised his disciples the Spirit of God would be with them even after he left. Not only does he promise, it wouldn't be just like a concession, like, ah, you'll be okay, you can hold your blankie, you know? It was like, it will be better for you when I'm gone. It will be better. The Holy Spirit living inside of you, the power and the presence of God inside of you, with you, is better than having even Jesus by your side day by day. That's what Jesus thought. That is what Jesus thought. Acts 1, uh, 1 through 8, Luke writes this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, this is Jesus' words, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, quoting John the Baptist, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is Jesus promising and predicting that his disciples, his followers, would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 1, uh, 1 through 8. So that's Acts chapter 1. It says in verse 8, this is Jesus continuing on, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus' promise to his disciples. You will receive power. It will be better for you when I leave. Just wait in Jerusalem, be filled by my spirit, you will receive power. Power to do all the things that you saw me do. <clears throat> so then we come to the story of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. This is like Charismatic's favorite verse, right? Acts chapter 2, 2 verses 1 through 19. <clears throat> when the day of, I have my football coach's voice right now. <clears throat> Next week you're not going to hear me at all because <clears throat> we have a game Saturday. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all his disciples, all his followers. They were waiting in Jerusalem, like he had said. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a, crown, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. 
How did they come to him? They came in bewilderment, confused. What is happening? This goes beyond our imaginations. This is crazy, right? Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked. Aren't all these who are speaking uh, from Galilee? Aren't these all Galileans? Like, how could they be speaking all these different languages? So how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've just had too much wine. It's not the spirit of God that's come on them, they're just drunk. <laughs> well, Peter, Peter got up at that point and he addresses the crowd. See, the spirit of God, when it falls on you, will turn a fisherman into a preacher overnight. And this is what happens to Peter. Verse 14, mind you, this is the man who has just committed the biggest failure in the history of Christian faith, denying the Christ three times. Even after Jesus warned him that he would do it, he still could not control himself. Denied the Christ three times. This man stands up and gives one of the greatest sermons in the New Testament. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he quotes the Old Testament. Again, the Spirit of God present in the Old Testament, not just a New Testament thing. The prophet Joel said this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Remember, the Bible has internal consistency. Prophecies that were made in the Old Testament hundreds of years before came true in the New Testament. There's internal consistency in the stories being told. We see one right here. Now notice this about this story of Pentecost. Notice this. These are believers who are now receiving the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time. These are already believers. So to John the Baptist's point, there's a baptism of water that comes upon conversion. And at this point, the Spirit of God uh, is living in all believers. So water baptism... Spirit of God does come and, and rest inside. You know, uh, Jesus Christ says, uh, you will be in me and I'm in you. We believe that, right? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? That's what they told us as little kids. We have this belief as Christians that Jesus lives inside of us upon conversion. That's biblically true and accurate, okay? It's biblically true and accurate. However, there still seems to be more of God's spirit. So here's what I would say to you today. If you're like, Noel, I gave my life to Jesus as a young man or a young woman, or I gave, it, I gave my life to him, you know, six months ago, but I've not experienced the, the power of the Spirit. I'm telling you that all these people in this room, in Jerusalem, they were believers. They'd been converted to faith in Jesus Christ, and yet the Spirit was still poured out for, like, in a greater measure that day. There was still more for them to receive. The Spirit of God is not just a one-time filling, you guys. We can, be, we can be filled again and again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will come to fill us for a specific reason, at a specific time, for a specific purpose. Yes, we always have, as believers, Christ inside of us. But there seems to be more power that is available to us, particularly when we're on mission with Him. And that, that was the case. That was the context. So we see these, this idea of second fillings. If you want to go um, uh, more, there's, there's another story in Acts chapter 8 where uh, these people who are already converted still received a second filling of the Holy Spirit. So this is a bit of a mysterious concept to me, the idea that I have Christ inside of me right now, that you know, by conversion I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, and yet I can still be baptized or filled with the Spirit again and again and again in a fresh way, right? 
in a way that, that gives me power to do what God's asked me to do. There's more for us. This is kind of cool. Like, we don't have it all yet. We should, con- like, we should get after it a little bit, right? We should get after it. We should pursue this. There's more for us. You've never had enough of the Spirit of God in you or on you. There's more. All right. So how are we going to walk this out? Like, what does this mean for us as a church? How will this affect the way that our church looks? How does it impact our worship? Number one, we're going to be a church that eagerly desires the gifts of the Spirit. This is our aiming point. You may be confused. You may be a little bit fearful. But I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul said specifically, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, especially the greater gifts, Paul said. Now, I look back to the story of my dad. My dad was open to receiving the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know that he was eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit. There's a difference, isn't there, in just being open to receiving the gifts of the Spirit and being eager in desire of these gifts. Openness isn't eagerness, you guys. We're told to eagerly desire these greater gifts. If we're just going to stand around and wait for it to happen, we may never see the move of God that we'd love to see. We've got to eagerly desire these gifts. Second thing, and hopefully this puts some of you at ease, because I know that it, it can be like, oh man, but I was in a charismatic church one time and they were running around with flags and jumping off the chairs, and it scared me and freaked me out. Okay, I haven't had one of those experiences, but I've heard. Um, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40, he promotes a, a, a spirit of order and not chaos. So this is what he says. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read just a smaller chunk of it. So you can go to 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. He talks about order and worship. In verse 39, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Paul was specifically speaking to the Corinthian church saying, hey, don't get wacky with this stuff. There's a right way for this stuff to be worked out, right? There's order that needs to be maintained. He talks about it in more detail. So we're going to have a spirit of order and not a spirit of chaos, okay? Um, One of the ways that we're going to do that is my next point, the idea of testing the spirit as it comes, as it comes forward. For example, if someone comes to me and says, Noel, I feel like the Lord told me this, and I think it's to share with the rest of the church. It's my job as your shepherd, as your leader, to test whether that really is the word of God or God's word to us, you know? And I think that that's people's, like, number one fear with these charismatic, miraculous gifts is like, well, what if someone says they're speaking the words of God, but they're not really the words of God? That would actually be really dangerous, wouldn't it? We could probably all agree. You know, and we could see how that could potentially lead to abuse. So it's our job to test the spirits. 1 John 4 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So here, part of the way that we steward the gifts of the spirit is we test the spirits. So if, you're, if we're ever in worship, you guys, and you feel like the Lord's put something on your heart to share with the rest of the group, here's what you got to do. Come to me, run it by me, okay? I'll I'll pray it over. I may even ask you to wait till the next week so that I can truly test that spirit, right? So how would I test that spirit? How would anyone in authority, how would you even test that spirit for yourself? Number one, the glory test. Who gets the glory with this word being shared? If the glory is received by man, that's not a word from God, right? If God gets the glory, That's got a chance to be a word from God. So number one, the glory test. Any gift of the Spirit, any word spoken prophetically or in tongues uh, should give God glory, not man. If man is drawing, and I think we've all seen this, haven't we? This Man, this really rankles us. It really ruffles our feathers when we see people using God to promote their own platform, right? Man, nothing is worse than that. Maybe you've turned on the TV, seen some televangelists, or you've heard about this Christian pastor pastor living in luxury, you know, somewhere in Texas. Um, Sorry, did I name somebody? Maybe Texas, I don't know. Number two, the second test, other than the glory test, is the fruit test. The fruit test, okay? Look, the character and actions produced by the Holy Spirit should be Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit, right? 
They should produce Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I get them all? I said them fast so that maybe you couldn't keep up with me. Listen, you guys, there should be good fruit, good character produced by the works of the Spirit. This is one of the ways that we test. If someone is speaking the Word of God, we have to ask ourselves, what fruit is being produced by this Word? Okay, if it's Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, that's what we want. That's one of our tests. The third way that we test uh, anything that comes prophetically is by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, you guys, will never say something that disagrees with God's written, revealed word in Scripture. We always weigh prophetic words against Scripture. This is why, like, I think one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit uh, moves on your heart is to remind you of Scripture. Oftentimes, when someone comes forward with a prophetic word, and I've been around these situations, uh, when they come with Scripture, it gives me a lot of confidence that God is actually speaking, right? A prophetic word would never disagree, right? And so this is where there are cults where they like started out Christian, believing the Bible, but then they believe that there's been like additional revelations that like kind of uh, uh, conflict with written uh, word of God, right? So uh, I don't want to name names, but any prophetic utterance must be weighed against the word of God, okay? Um, Lastly, uh, we have a community responsibility to hear God, to hear from the Holy Spirit, and experience Him together. So, for example, let me give you a personal example of how this has worked out. When I felt like the Spirit of God was calling me to leave my former career and pastor, I didn't just make that decision by myself, right? The first thing I did, like literally first thing I did, tell my wife, community member number one, what do you think God is saying? If she was like, dude, no way. That would have been a good sign that maybe God was not speaking. Either that or maybe we would have needed to continue to talk about it, right? The second thing that I did, I called the elders at at the church that I was at, my spiritual oversight, and said, guys, this is what I feel like the Lord has said to me, right? We confirm these things, these speakings of the Spirit in community, right? If they had said, Noel, I don't think you're hearing from God correctly, I would have had to really weigh that and think, okay, maybe that wasn't from God. Because we discern these things, the utterances of the Spirit, we discern them collectively in community. We experience God together. So the four tests, glory test, fruit test, word test, and then community or body test. The next thing that, that's really important for us as a church, as we, as, we, as we attempt to walk in the Spirit, is to have humility. There's a way in which we need to have humility. Uh, it says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 36-38. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? Right? You hear that? It's like, are you like the only people that have heard from God? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. These aren't your words. This is God's word. Right? But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. There's a humility that we need to come forward with when we speak words that that are supposedly representing God's word. So when I say something that I think is like God's word to you or God's word for me, I need to hold that not with pride, but with humility, right? So we want to hold these gifts, the power of the spirit with humility. Uh, and then lastly, you guys, we want, to, um, we want to experience both the fruits and the truths of the spirit, not just the power and the presence. Sometimes as charismatics, we can get a little carried away at times and be all about experiencing these like euphoric emotions these like high-end experiences with God I don't think that those are bad that's not what I'm saying at all we should want the power and the presence of God but we have to remember that the the spirit of God also is here to guide us into truth in um, the spirit of God is also here to produce fruit of character in our lives it's not just about the power and the presence we can get really attracted to the power of God. We can get really attracted to the presence and feeling that emotional sense of God being with us. But we must not forget that there's also a fruit that's wanting to be produced. And I already listed the fruits of the Spirit. Um, In John 14, 15 through 27, uh, we see that the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth or our advocate. This is what Jesus said, verse 15, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. 
and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is not just about power and presence. The Holy Spirit is also about producing character. The Holy Spirit is also about leading us into truth. You guys, we do not have to choose as a church whether or not we want to be a word church or a spirit church. We don't have to choose one at the exclusion of the other. We can be a word and spirit church. And hopefully what I presented today is good reason from the word to press into the spirit. So the word of God and the spirit of God, they're not opposed. This was a the thing that's odd about this, though, is that it does, it does kind of seem like churches are either stronger in one or the other, right? Maybe, you know, you go to, like, John MacArthur's church, it's like, man, they are strong in the Word. They are super strong in the Word of God. They know the Word of God. They preach the Word of God. There's some great strength in that. But it seems like, wow, where's the Spirit? It's, it can be hard to find the Spirit sometimes in really strong Word churches. But then sometimes you go to Spirit churches, and they're, like, caught up in experience, they're caught up in these miraculous gifts. They're seeing healings. But as it even says in Matthew, you know, I think there's like, man, do you even know what the Bible says? Are you really pressing into scripture? Or are you just after like a charismatic experience, an emotional experience of the presence of God? But listen, we don't have to choose one or the other. It is perfectly biblical to press into the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, to experience the power and the presence of God is an idea that originates in Scripture. And if we're, if we're truly obeying the Word of God, like we've said, we want to we be a people who obeys the Word of God. So part of what that means is taking hold of and being filled with the Spirit. You guys, these things go together, this idea of being Word and Spirit. We can hold both things really, really, really close. So in conclusion, what kind of church are we aiming to be? right? What kind of church are we aiming to be? Not that we've already attained all these things. We got some work to do. We may be a little stronger in one area, a little weaker in the other, but we're going to press in to take hold of all that God has called us to, all that he has given us access to. We're a word and spirit church. We seek to be a word and spirit church. Let's aim to be word and spirit Christians, people who not only hear the word of God, but do it. People that not only know about God, but are filled with his spirit. They have a personal experience of his power and his presence. Let's be a church that eagerly desires the work of the spirit. Eagerly desires the work of the spirit. The same spirit who guides us into all truth, who produces the fruit of godly character in our lives, and who powers us by his presence to do the miraculous, to experience his love manifest to bring us joy and boldness to proclaim his gospel to the world around us. This, doesn't that sound good? Like, this is who we want to be as a church. Again, not that we've already arrived. We got room to grow. But let's aim to be a, a church that's obedient to the word and filled with his spirit. Paul said it this way. He, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we, I, I mean, even like talking about your spirit just makes me think of like all that's left for me. Uh, it makes me think of all the ways that I've not yet experienced uh, your power and your presence uh, completely. And, and maybe that's just part of being human, God, but I, I want to, like Paul instructs, eagerly desire to be filled with your spirit, Lord, to experience your power and your presence, Lord. As we read your scripture, as I study your scripture and proclaim your word, I see my need for your spirit, Lord, to, to lead me into truth, to produce the fruits of godly character in my life, to see the sick healed, the dead rised, Lord, to see redemption and restoration come to our community, to my friends, to my family, to my own heart, Lord. And so, Lord, this morning, 
I'm praying for more. I'm praying for more, God. I want to be filled with your spirit. Lord, we want to be a people marked by your power and your presence. We're pressing in, God. We're pressing in to the more, Lord. We don't just want to know about you. We want to know you, God. We want to have a resurrection relationship with you, Jesus. By your word and by your spirit, God. And I just, um, I think I'd be remiss even this morning if I didn't, um, if I didn't pray that the Holy Spirit specifically would come. And I wanted to invite you this morning, just where you're at in your seat, you don't have to do anything super demonstrative, but if you're like, man, Noel, I, I've known God for a long time, but I, I don't know that I've ever really experienced his power. I feel like there's more. If that's you this morning, you're like, I've seen what the word teaches I want to be a doer of that word. I want to have everything that I need to do what God's called me to do, but I'm, I'm like missing something. I just invite you right now just to like put your hand up. You could put it like just kind of quietly hand up so your neighbor doesn't see. That's fine. You could talk to them later about it. And I'm going to pray that we be a people filled with the Holy Spirit right now. Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would come on us. I pray your spirit would come on me. And on my friends, Lord, I pray you'd give us boldness like you gave Peter to preach the good news. I pray you'd give us power like you gave your disciples to see people healed by your name, to see miracles happen in your name, using tongues or the prophetic, Lord, giving us visions and dreams, dancing, whatever it may be, Lord. We just pray that your spirit would come, Lord. Fill us, Father God. Fill us afresh. In a new way, we want more of you, Lord. Come fill us, God. Amen.